Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Hi, and welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll virtual dice and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> We're back with more anime. Always. And after last week's very popular JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, we're going to be talking about a show that no one knows. We're back to true form. Yeah. Last time we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and we leapt into a show called Rewrited, Derrida Who Leaps Through Time. Rewrited was an anime series that aired in October of 2018. <laughs> and that's it. That is all. <laughs> There's not much to the history of this show. Sometimes these uh, recaps of like where the show comes from and what it was adapted from are extremely complicated. This was the first instance of rewrited <laughs> and quite possibly the last. <laughs> and of that 2018 anime series, we watched the first four episodes. Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis? I will try. An engineer named Derrida discovers a terrifying bug in the autonomous robots he helps design. Before he is able to apply a patch, Derrida's life is threatened by those who stand to profit from the bug. While running for his life, Derrida is frozen in cryostasis for 10 years and awakens to the robot hellscape that he helped create. Yeah, uh, we mentioned last week when we first rolled this show that the description of the show says that it takes place in 2050. So pretty much exactly 30 years from now. But then... He goes into cryostasis for 10 years, so it really takes place in 2060. Right. And uh, Derrida, our protagonist for the show, is kind of just like a smart science guy, and I don't really know if there's much else that we know about him or that he has any personality traits that are notable so far. I can't tell if this is because of the shock that he's going through, because the events of this show happen really quickly. He finds this bug. He approaches his boss about it. His life is almost immediately threatened. He f accidentally puts himself in cryostasis, wakes up 10 years later, and the world is just kind of destroyed. And it seems like he just is having a hard time processing what's going on. So I kind of wonder if maybe his personality would be less bland the more he adapts to what's happening to him but if these four episodes are any indicator i think stuff is just going to keep happening to him so maybe not yeah it seems like the show likes to pile a bunch of stuff on mm -hmm. and i don't really know that it has a great grasp on where it's actually intending to go yeah even with its tone it's kind of hard to gauge what it's actually trying to be uh, like you mentioned in the synopsis, Derrida works for this big corporation that manufactures robots. 
There's supposed to be nice, helpful robots called the DZ, and he discovers this bug that has a weird trigger mechanism uh, that would basically make the robots go crazy. And uh, he discovers this alongside one of his coworkers, whose name is Nathan. Yep. And uh, the they appear to be friends outside of work too. Um, kind of the first scene for this show is that Derrida goes over to Nathan's house and it's Nathan's daughter's birthday. Yep. And her name is Maje, and we'll get to her in a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he and Nathan kind of discover this bug together and that's pretty much the last of Nathan. Yep. When they start getting chased out of town and are being hunted by assassins, basically. Uh, Nathan is presumed dead, and then he goes into cryosleep, so. Yeah, just like that. It's also notable, I guess, that Derrida's father is kind of uh, one of the higher-ups at this robot company. His name is Jocks, and he's kind of one of the lead inventors, I suppose. And um, Jocks actually, when he finds out about the bug goes to his higher up at the company and is the one who like advocates to recall the robots and get the patch put in place. Do you want to talk at all about Hans, the big boss? Hans is exactly what his name implies. Like no character ever named Hans has been good. And so this is clearly the main antagonist of the show. And he's just a greedy capitalist. And that is just the embodiment of who he is. Everything that he does is motivated by money and power. And he almost gets in his own way. There's a few times where he doesn't like the way that the assassin he hired is trying to kill Derrida. Right. And so then he enlists other people to try and kill Derrida, which ends up messing up the entire plan. And Derrida doesn't end up dying, and his assassin gets real mad at him for stepping in. Yep. He's almost kind of, like, comical, but not in a lovable Saturday morning cartoon kind of bumbling villain sort of way. Right, more just like a moron on some power trip and kind of the, the, like, overtly comically evil kind of character yes and part of that is even that later on after the 10-year jump Derrida goes back to his old office to try to like uncover secret data and break into all of their files and comes to the dramatic realization that the bug was not an accident (laughs) And it's supposed to be some big shocking revelation that this bug was intentional. And it wasn't just that they didn't want to patch it. It's that they put it there on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that's the character is just so overtly evil that every twist and turn is completely obvious a mile away. Yep. Well, Derrida is trying to figure out how to solve this patch problem and trying to stay away from whatever Hans is doing. He actually has his own little crew that he 
kind of creates as soon as he wakes up. Yeah, after he wakes up from uh, the freezing, uh, he kind of wakes up to, like you said, this just landscape of destruction and robots, murder, rampage everywhere, and immediately runs into this guy whose name is Vidot, and all we know about him is that he is like former police, and now he just acts as like a contract person who does things presumably dangerous things he goes out into the like wastelands and deals with robot problems and scavenges and whatever with his daughter yeah adopted daughter but yeah uh mayuka is his daughter who kind of hangs out in his car in his supercar <laughs> uh this guy is all of the tropes um it's it's kind of something i'm noticing with a lot of the characters um this guy is just your typical, like, grumpy mercenary guy. So he's in it just for the, the paycheck. You know, Derrida is like, oh, I'll pay you to, like, drive me into town. And he's like, okay, I'm only in this for the paycheck. And we're like, okay, sure. And that's exactly his storyline is exactly what you anticipate. It's that he's in this for the money until, you know, they form a friendship and, the money doesn't matter as much. Oh, and... you're you're doing good things, and you can actually <laughs> change the world. So I'll help you. I'm I'm predicting that at some point he's going to be tempted to like sell Derrida out, and we're going to be like, oh, is he oh, going to do no. it? But no, he won't because they're truly friends now. Yeah. Like, you can just see it. <laughs> yeah, but. Despite, like, how shallow the character is, they just keep hammering on this same one-line joke. Yes. The whole time that Vidot is introduced as a character. Uh, he pretty much ends every conversation with, with, well, I'm only doing this if I get paid or I don't work for free. And yet he just keeps doing things despite that being his sole character motivation and the thing that they keep harping on. Yeah, and... It's made pretty clear from the beginning that Derda isn't sure that he has any money to give. No. Yeah, immediately after meeting them, they like try to scan Derrida because everyone has a microchip now, I guess. Yes. And they're like, "What? He doesn't he doesn't have one. Where where did he come from?" And right there, they should have been like, "Well, he doesn't have any money because this is how we pay for things." So, not working with you. Mhm. He doesn't have that apple chip in his hand. Yeah. As they keep bringing up that same joke and that same character motivation, they introduce little things to make it seem like practical. Like when they're going through the secret files at his old office, uh, Vidot is like secretly hacking into some computer and finds out that Derrida is like a super millionaire. I, I guess because of, like, his father's work and in this big company and, and stuff like that. The interaction between these two guys is pretty strange. We're kind of made to believe that they're bonding, but there's really no evidence of that. Like, at one point, Vidot's car gets damaged, and so he's repairing it back at, I guess, his base or whatever. And Derrida's, like helping him by handing him the tools and they're kind of having this really weird awkward stilted conversation so it's hard to believe that they're actually bonding yeah exactly 
yeah, so kind of the only other stuff that happens in the show uh, up to these four episodes is that we had mentioned earlier, right before he got frozen, he participated in this birthday party for Nathan's daughter, Maje. And at this birthday party, Maje is turning eight, I think. Mm -hmm. And she has also invited one of her friends over, whose name is Yuri. And uh, Yuri's, like, entire character up to that point is just that she's a kid and she takes a lot of pictures on this camera she has. Yep. And uh, we know that since Derrida and Nathan are close friends, he almost looks like sort of an uncle figure to Maje. Yeah, I almost thought that they were related. Yeah. And uh, for some completely deranged reason, after this party, Derrida decides to give a copy of the patch that will fix the robots to this eight-year-old girl. Really the only patch that he has. Yeah, I think Nathan has a copy as well, but obviously he gets blown up, so she has presumably the only version of this fix. Yep. And I don't think there's really any actual reason given for why he would trust that to her. He told her to give it to her dad. Exactly. And then on the way out of the party, he could have just given it to Nathan. Yep. But he gave it to her instead for some reason. Yep. And that one detail is pretty much the entirety of the setup for the rest of the story Mm -hmm. because when he gets to the future 10 years later he needs to find Maje because she had the copy of the fix but she's missing but she's missing he uh, eventually convinces Vido to take him to the old residence where that birthday party had taken place and finds that it's all in ruins, and obviously no one's there, no one lives there. But they do happen upon Yuri. Yep. Who is still kind of living in that area and surviving, for whatever that means. Sure. So Yuri ends up kind of joining this group, and her only contribution is that she had continued to be friends with Maje while they grew up. So they ended up staying in the area and going to school and living together up until sometime recently in which Maje just left. And she left this weird cryptic video and that's all that Yuri knows. And the only other purpose she serves is to be liability. Which is weird because we already have this little girl that hangs out with Vido, his daughter, who also is liability. Right. Why do we have two liability characters? Mm-hmm. It's too much. So she really doesn't offer anything other than having just been Maje's childhood friend. Yeah, and to the point that she completely gave up on finding Maje. To the point that she just basically pretended she was dead and moved on. Yep. And suddenly Derrida shows up and convinces her that he is the same Derrida from 10 years before, who everyone thought he was dead, 
and had been accused of murdering Nathan. Nathan and his father. Yes, and his father. Um, But suddenly she's like, well, since you're doing it, sure, I'll go. (laughs) I guess I'll go try to find her now. This dude she met one time at a party 10 years ago. Right. Who the only reason uh, she believes him is that she has those photos from that party and so kind of vaguely recognizes him. On the same camera that she used 10 years ago. Yes. I cannot imagine an eight-year-old holding on to one thing for 10 years. I guess to wrap up kind of characters and story, one thing that we have not talked about that is part of the title of this show (laughs) is that Derrida supposedly leaps through time. Yeah, it seems like... There are going to be two narratives running side by side. The first is this whole robot uprising thing. And that's been the main part of this show up until the fourth episode. It was very briefly mentioned in the first episode that Derrida, I guess maybe when he was in school, had written this thesis about time travel and basically had decided that it was impossible and moved on with his life. And Maje was really interested in it and I guess had read his thesis or something. (laughs) You know, as eight-year-olds do. Yeah. Was somehow aware that this was his thesis. And we start, we see one instance of maybe some sort of time travel in the first episode And then not again until episode four. Yeah. And the way that this time travel is manifesting is for some reason and somehow he Derrida will like hold on to a a memory so strongly that he can like go visit that memory and without being aware of it can make small little changes. And when he comes back. Like, whenever he just kind of comes back to his conscious mind, he holds his original memory in place while reality has shifted around it. And it's this weird confabulation that he's experiencing. He starts to realize this, like, when the photos that Yuri has on her camera don't line up with what he remembers happening uh, and things like that. Right. Um. And every time he has one of these experiences, it is somehow revolving around Maje. Yes, because an eight-year-old version of her... Who goes by a different name? It, it is. I'm not sure. A person who looks like an eight-year-old Maje, who yes. introduces herself as someone else, mm-hmm. keeps showing up in these like hallucinations that he's having. And she really doesn't talk a whole lot she just kind of shows up and kind of gives a follow me kind of look and then he does right and then things happen right but like you said episode four was kind of the very very start of the introduction to any of the time travel stuff and so we kind of have no idea what is happening it seems like eventually this will be the predominant narrative because it's in the title I'm guessing 
that it's going to be this weird butterfly thing of he's going to think that time travel is going to solve whatever problem and then it's going to end up not solving the problem and Mm -hmm. then it probably will at the very, very end. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I I imagine there's going to be some hiccup to him not being able to fix the robots and return things to normal. And so time travel is going to play a part in him either recovering the patch or just reversing the effects of the robots going crazy or something. We'll be right back after this short break. conversation on the production of the show sure and overall i don't really have much to say in the production aspect um kind of my big takeaway was that as we're probably going to talk about later there's a lot of genre mashing in this show while it is as a kind of broad category a sci-fi It's taking a lot from, like, cyberpunk elements and post-apocalyptic kind of stuff. And when it tries to do that kind of stuff, what I'm left with is the feeling that it's really underwhelming in its creativity, especially in, like, environmental kind of designs. Even as a show that's supposed to be taking place in 2050, nothing really looks different. Uh, and, you know, maybe in some cases that can be a good, like, kind of future futuristic representation of, yeah, maybe our technology is upgraded, like, our cars look different, and they're kind of, you know, they talk to you. I guess that's <laughs> still a sci-fi thing that people do. But the buildings and everything just kind of looks the same, even old in some cases. Like, the residents where they have that birthday party looks old it seems weird sometimes to think about how like you you kind of expect the aesthetic to look really different but then it's it's weird to be like hey the technology in 50 to 60 years has grown a bunch but structurally we haven't upgraded anything It's interesting that really the only technology that we see that has advanced is cars and these robots. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, seemingly. Phones still look the same. Computers still work the same. Cameras function the same way, even if it looks weird. Yeah. Um, And so all that to say, like, it feels uninspired Like, they're not really trying to create an environment at all. Uh, Even when it kind of shifts to the post-apocalyptic kind of stuff, only 10 years has passed. It's not like, you know, everything has been overrun with vines. It's not that kind of Mm post-apocalypse. It's not nuclear fallout post-apocalypse. It's just kind of, now some buildings fell down. Yeah, and it's weird that in some places... 
they have this kind of like tonal everything's like kind of dark and these all these buildings are like really destroyed and then we go visit other places and if you were just looking at the show at that point you would think you wouldn't know that a war had happened right it, it looks fine in fact, I think it, at some point, characters mention like, well, I'm just going to move out of Japan since this war is happening. Yeah. And you're like, is this is this not normal everywhere else? Like, <laughs> it just happened here. Mm-hmm. Why are people still living here? Yeah. If this is like the war-torn post-apocalypse, mm-hmm. like, just go somewhere else. Right. Um, so I don't know. The, the aesthetic doesn't really match up with the character's kind of tone. Because, you know, you've got Vidot, the stereotypical, like, wasteland survivor guy. Yes. And you're like, it's fine. There's a city right there. Everything is fine, dude. Yeah. Like, he goes to the market and gets his food and you would know no different. Mm Mm-hmm. I I could say pretty much the same about the character designs. Um. Apparently, fashion hasn't changed in 60 years, which I find a hard time believing because fashion changes a lot. (laughs) Oh, well, we're just on, you know, the right loop where it's come back in style. (laughs) Okay, well, sure. Um, Everyone looks modern day and not modern day for 2050. It looks modern day for 2018. And it's funny to me, too, because even in the 10 year leap. Hans looks the exact same. They didn't age him. I'm pretty sure he's wearing the same suit that he wore 10 years before. It kind of feels like when you would watch whatever, you know, cartoon or anime or whatever, where they just wear the same clothes all the time. That's that's what this feels like. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for the most part, the character designs are pretty uninspiring. Um, they don't look bad. Like, nothing in the show looks bad. It looks fine. It's well-drawn. I noticed a few keyframes that looked like they needed a little more detail, but nothing nothing especially egregious. So I don't have much to say about the way that anyone looks. They all just kind of look like normal, realistic people that would be living in the world. However, I would like to talk about Hans. When we talk about Hans looking like a stereotypical capitalist, he incidentally looks a lot like Trump. His hair looks like Trump, especially. And just the fact that he's in this kind of suit and the angular lines in his face. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's out there. It matches up. Yeah. So if you're ever want an anime comparison to Trump, then there you go. Yeah, I'd I'd pretty much say the same about the overall animation style and quality of things. Pretty in line with the kind of things that we see out of 2018. I don't know. This one's probably interesting because it doesn't have source material and it's just kind of original. And so, you know, I, I wonder... I wonder how that process is different for an anime like this. Uh, something I haven't really thought about or looked into before. When you mentioned that, you know, this is pretty standard for 2018. Um, something I was thinking about while I was watching the intro for this show 
is that it does the thing that I guess is just really common right now. We've talked about this before in other intros. Uh, It has a lot of these like character profile shots with these kind of geometric, transparent, like color blocks that are going over the the profile of the character and it's got these like heavy guitar riffs going on. It's got these random like sometimes blocks of words, but sometimes just a random word like shows up on screen that potentially has something to do with the show or makes you think that it has something to do with the show. I described it as it looks like there's a lot of Instagram filters. Um, This is something that I've been seeing in a lot of intros kind of in the last like in anime that have come out in the last few years and something I think you and I have talked about in a lot of medias we tend to see like thematic intros happening a lot so we'll see when you think of something like Game of Thrones or The Crown or something like that they all have these same kind of intros something is being built or I think of like the crown or daredevil, you know, something is being like melted upon to like show you that it's a crown or a mask or, and it's got this weird kind of ominous music going on. And I think this is something that we see in anime too, is that there's sort of this catchy, like, ah, that's a really cool intro. We should do something just like that copy paste thing that happens. Yeah, it's, it's hard to pinpoint kind of the origins of that. Uh, another thing that happens a lot in these is like short looping animations. Mm-hmm. There will be like a character who puts their hand up or something and it loops in time to the music. Mm-hmm. Not, not my favorite. <laughs> this animation intro kind of style is, is not something I'm super into. Uh, especially when they're all just like a generic rock song with some pop singer on top. Uh, that's kind of the weirdest thing to me is like a lot of these intros are J-pop stars and they don't typically do this kind of heavy rock stuff, but they just kind of throw them on there as a name that someone will recognize. Uh, and when you said like comparing that to how the Western, uh, like big budget show thing is, is kind of that. Um, you know, dark background with things turning around and <laughs> stuff uh, and how you can trace all of that back to like House MD mm-hmm. and things like that that came out a long time ago. So I wonder where this trend kind of started with anime. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what was the catalyst for that. All right, Kayla, would you like to talk about your general thoughts for the show? I had touched on this a little bit before, but for a show that seems to be focusing on the relationships between these people, the relationships are really shallow. So Derrida is really concerned about where Maje is, and not just because she has the code source for him, but he seems to indicate like he really cares about her. He's really worried about her. But honestly, when we see him like interact with her, he's kind of indifferent. And even when you think about the fact that he's at their house for her birthday, 
Like, he's telling Nathan, like, oh, hey, what's that flower that she likes? I'm going to go, like, get the flower that she likes. He doesn't really seem to know her. And even with Nathan, he's he doesn't really act like they're as close of friends as it seems to indicate that they are. It's almost like, well, we're coworkers and we know each other. So, like, come hang out, you know, for my daughter's birthday sort of thing. Yeah, everything just seems really shallow. It's same with same with this, like, group that they've kind of put together. Like, Derrida tells Yuri, hey, I don't think you should, like, hang out with us because it's going to be really dangerous. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay with you. You're like, why? Like, you've been trying to stay out of danger. You had you had decided it was not worth going after your best friend for the last 10 plus years. Why would you care about this complete stranger other than maybe to go see Maje again? But between everybody, it just doesn't feel like there's any sort of bond between them other than what they tell us. So instead of showing us that they're getting closer or that they're trusting one another, they just tell us, I trust you now, or like, I really care about this person, but they don't show us. And and that just ends up coming off really flat and not believable. And similarly to how it kind of fails us on the character front, the plot kind of equally misses the mark in all sorts of ways. Um, I found that it was consistently contradictory of itself. It really can't decide... Uh, what plot elements matter and what doesn't matter and what this world is like even. Even like the very beginning of the show, one of the things they say is, we can't patch the robots now. They're already going out. Mm-hmm. And presumably what they plan to do is find the patch that Maje had and go to this corporate headquarters and send out the patch over the air, I guess. But they already said that wouldn't work. And so I think they're going to have to, they're either going to completely negate that thing that they said at the beginning of the show, or they're going to find some other contradictory way of getting around that limitation. They're going to iRobot it. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, Which leads me to my other concern, which is, Time travel. (laughs) I was even trying to think of like what kind of time travel show this kind of compares to or what movie it's kind of playing off in its time travel mechanics. And I really couldn't think of a good analog for it because there are just infinite time travel things. And so few of them actually stick with you because they are well done and well considered and memorable and so there's like a few big time travel movies and tv shows that people are into that leave a mark on culture and everything else just completely disappears and i think this is going to be a case where they introduce time travel as a mechanic and they do not have the confidence or the writing skills, or the forethought to really be able to handle something like that. You and I have had conversations before 
in media where time travel is used as a way to back yourself out of a corner. And Harry Potter. (laughs) And that ends up messing with everything is once you introduce time travel into a universe, it's really it's a really messy thing. You know, it just it adds so many more questions than it answers. And so the show, I can't imagine, has a really good answer because it seems like it has more than one kind of time travel. And that is the worst kind of thing possible. Yeah, Yeah, I think all of the really good time travel properties almost exclusively focus on the time travel itself. And they have very strict, specific rules for time travel. And then you've got the Avengers, who (laughs) in the last movie introduce, oh, here's time travel and this is how it works and you can just ignore it, hand wave, hand wave. Yeah. And it's complete nonsense. (laughs) It is complete nonsense. And that is definitely where this show is going. Yeah. Uh, And I think that kind of leads me to my main criticism of the show, which is that it is all Mm sci-fi. It's trying to be everything. It's a whole lot of Terminator because there's a time travel (laughs) mechanic and there's robots and they're trying to kill the robots. And the robots are trying to kill people. Right. Indiscriminately. And it's a little bit Blade Runner because it's the future. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit Demolition Man because he gets frozen and tries to, you know, complete his mission 10 years in the future. Also, they reference Demolition Man. Yeah, he says Demolition Man at some point. He calls himself a Demolition Man. Vido is like, oh, well, I'm more of a Demolition Man. (laughs) Knee slap. Uh, a little bit Night Rider because the cars talk. Or at least this one car. This car does. They have not. Still doesn't drive itself, though. No. Good that to know we're that, aware of. Good to know that that <laughs> modern technology that is happening <laughs> in real life is not around in 40 2050. years. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, all of this time travel stuff that kind of just piles on and... It thinks it can do every single sci-fi and and post-apocalypse, all mm-hmm. of that stuff, too. It thinks it can just handle all of this stuff that it sees in every other piece of media that is vaguely sci-fi and can handle it with any amount of nuance, and it's definitely not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to just say... Oh, I like the car from Knight Rider. I'm going to add it here. And, ooh, I liked this idea with iRobots. I'm going to add this here. And and it doesn't really seem to know what it wants to be. So it's kind of this weird, like, Frankenstein's monster thing that now exists. And we're expected to not hold, you know, pitchforks and torches to. Yeah. The last thing I'd say, just as a general thought, is... The other very concerning thing about this show is the title, <laughs> which is, uh, like, obviously, rewrited is nothing. It means nothing. And it's weird, like, capital Yeah, it's, it's got thing. the, like, stylized capitalization. Like, they're trying to do some wordplay there, but they don't quite, you know. Um, Maybe it just doesn't translate in English. 
Well, it, it is in English. Oh, it's, okay, never mind. They wrote it in English. So it's, to give them it's the obviously of the like, uh, you know, they didn't quite understand what they were trying <laughs> to do with the wordplay, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like the show's title doesn't mean anything. But I also figured out that I think what they were trying to do is to make the title an anagram of the main character's name. But they forgot a letter. But they just left off the A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so rewrited almost can be Derrida. And that's the only, only possible reason <laughs> I can think that they made that title. And then they put it into an arrangement that had like, well, we can put the word ride in lowercase and then <laughs> ed in uppercase. And oof, I mean, it's it's rough. I'm afraid that the title is referencing something yet to come about the time travel, and we just don't understand it yet, uh-huh. which is fearful because it doesn't make any sense with time travel either. Yep. Well, Kayla, with all of that said, would you watch any more of this show? No. I wish I had like <laughs> more to say, but I, I don't. I just, I'm not into the show. I imagine I am not going to remember much of anything in like a couple weeks. Yeah, likewise, I'm going to say no. I think this show has kind of botched it at every level. And I have such low confidence in it as a time travel property. And I have such low confidence in it being that this is the only time this franchise, this property has ever appeared is in this one anime series which nobody seemed to have heard of or paid attention to and then it didn't have any follow-ups or spin-offs or anything nope and so i can't imagine that it improves from here (laughs) because i only see it going in a direction that convolutes it even more and makes it less believable and less interesting yeah all right well let's hurry up and put this behind us if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at anamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our username is anamondaycast. You can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, you'll find a link to the current title on our website, and I'll try to post it on social media if I remember, (laughs) so that you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show. Uh, These songs come from the Senpai EPs that are available on his Bandcamp and other streaming services. You can also find links to his music in the show notes and on our website. You ready to roll? I am ready. Random button in three, two, one. All right, and the anime for this week is R.O.D. Possibly Rod. I don't know if it's supposed to be spelled out or sounded. Okay. And the first episode is called The Papers Have Landed. Indeed. I have no idea what's happening. All right. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us this week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Okay, bye. Bye.
On our show, we roll the virtual dice and much was... Blah, 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 blah. Good start. On our show, we roll the virtual dice and must watch a randomly selected... <laughs> mush. Mush watch. I changed, the, I changed the intro, so it's... I'm trying to remember. Mush, mush. On our show, we roll the virtual dice and must watch... <laughs> <laughs> Is it the word must? Yes. What did you? What did it used to be? I, I just said something in front of it before. Okay. <laughs>